I don't want a pickle. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. This is an AMA sanctioned event. All right. <laughs> this welcome to the Nokomoto podcast episode number. I don't know. We're getting close to 230. I am your host, MotoGP. And with me is your other host, Swiggy. Yep. All right, coming to you from Nokomoto Podcast Network Studios Recording Suite B here in Northern Colorado, where we had another one of our 300 Days of Sunshine that we get every year. Woo! Let's see here. We've got some business at the top of this episode. Listeners, it would seem that Cleveland Moto has canceled the Iron Buddy. Well, they haven't canceled the event completely, but it's no longer a true Iron Buddy. It's no longer a 24-hour buddy race, which saddens my heart. And I have to conclude that they they turned it into two separate 12-hour races or something like that. It's going to resemble something more like that. And I can only assume they did this out of fear. Because they knew that Nokomoto would win. Right? Obviously. Obviously. I have to assume that. So right now, the president of the Moto One Podcast Network is in legal, or he's getting together with legal to figure out what it takes to officially make us the winners of the 2024 Cleveland Moto uh, inaugural Iron Buddy. And possibly the inaugural and only Iron Buddy, right? Or whatever. I uh, it, Even before it's illegal, I'm just going to go ahead and declare us the winners of the Iron Buddy, right? Here we go. 2024 Iron Buddy champs right here. Uh, we win by default, I guess. I don't know. I, I Cleveland Moto has certainly... Uh, what's the word? What's the word? Um... What what is it called? Like by uh, they get, they forfeited the the victory. Jesus, <laughs> and, okay. my mind's not working right. I, I I took some narcotics. Okay, earlier I was I had a, a, a terrible bleeding ulcer and I took some some oxys earlier today. So, all right, so that's going on. Uh, second, we've got um. Pretty soon, I'm going to be mailing remainders of posters and those posters to New Zealand or Australia or whatever. So any more listeners down under that want to get on that better move quick. And what other business do we have? Uh, oh, I remember one other piece of business that we have that I'm going to save until a little bit later, but it's tangentially related to Cleveland Moto's Iron Buddy sort of thing. So, Swigs. Let's see here. We've got on this episode uh, maybe some secret questions, maybe some news, maybe put those together. I've got an interesting thing about my... I've got a sort of top five list of, um, like, the next bikes I need to buy. And I think uh, we've probably got a bunch of emails too, don't we? Uh, we got quite a few. Yeah, let's do emails on this one and get caught up with those. So let's start with best worst bike in the world this week. What do you say? Let's do it. 
Okay, so here we go. This is best worst bike in the world this week. Swigs and I have each chosen a motorcycle. We don't know what each other have chosen. It's a surprise, just like always. Some people, you know, it happens. We pick a bike and they decide that, well, maybe, hmm. You know what? I'm not going to go into it. People have all sorts of crazy thoughts. People email us sometimes some batshit crazy shit about what we have done for best worst bike in the world this week. Yeah, sometimes it's okay. To be fair, it's mostly constructive, but sometimes it's insane. And I'm probably triggering them to to email us insane things. So whatever your crazy feelings are, email them to contact at nokamotopodcast.com along with anything else that's happening in your moto life. And we'll get back to you and read your email on the show. Swigs, you have worst bike in the world this week. I do. All right. And are you ready to reveal it? I am. Okay. Here we go. And the worst bike in the world this week is? The current generation Suzuki Hayabusa. I love this bike. What's wrong? Okay. <laughs> okay. What? I mean, I'm bored with Hayabusa's a little bit, but I mean, I, I think the styling's never been better. The power's, you know, Hayabusa power. There's nothing to complain about there. As far as sport bikes it's ridiculously comfortable um so there's a few things there for one it is not as comfortable as the previous generations the seating position is a bit more aggressive is it and it's not quite as um it, it is a little bit more of an aggressive riding position than it was before did they like increase the steering angle and like move the seat back or something? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, you, okay. you can't ride it quite like an adventure touring bike as you could before. Like or not adventure, as a like a sport touring machine. It's huh. but what the reason I picked this bike is because I don't think this bike one kind of makes sense in the current economic climate. Two, it's essentially, you know, because of speed limiters, it's not any faster than a Hayabusa from 20 years ago. And it doesn't, the, 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 the role of what a Hayabusa is meant to be and what it's meant to represent isn't really something that kind of fits in well with a lot of kind of the bikes that we're seeing these days. So I think the best way to demonstrate this is if you were to go on to, uh, say, Cycle Trader, the number of used Hayabusa's from 2023 and from 2022 is utterly ridiculous. It seems like nobody hangs on to one of these bikes, and nobody puts miles on them. Uh, And that's kind of a 
a massive indictment on an $18,000 motorcycle. Okay, I have really strong rebuttals to all of this. Okay. So, it's not that people aren't hanging on to 2022 and 2023 Hayabusa's. People aren't hanging on to a lot of 2022 and 2021 and 2023 motorcycles because they bought them and can't afford them. So there's that. Second. Okay, for the general public, this maybe isn't the smartest buy. I'll give you that. But. The Hayabusa endures for two reasons. One, it's a absolutely bonkers Suzuki flagship bike. And Suzuki doesn't can't get Suzuki cannot get rid of the Hayabusa until they have something to replace it with. And I I mean when you got something like Hayabusa, right? How do you get rid of that? You know, it it's just such an iconic you know thing. It, it's like okay, but like what, right? They have to come up with something, and then something else has to become some sort of big legendary bike, and then they can let the Hayabusa go. But third, I mean, well, if you look third, at it, no, 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 this right. is the most important part. Third, this isn't really a bike for the general public. This bike still exists for drag racing so when you so in in this version where they upped the horsepower and torque just a little bit to get it off the line quicker and make it go fast when you unregulate it and moving the seat back well, and the all that stuff that it this is still just sold for people to win drag races I don't know if the motor is actually any more powerful. In fact, I think it's actually slightly less powerful than the previous generation. I feel like I remember when this version was released that Suzuki said something about the way it was tuned that regardless of any other numbers, what they increased was its 0 to 60, which again is all aimed towards drag racing. Mm Mm-hmm. That's true, but I mean, it's not like there's a shortage of Hayabusa's out there to modify. Yeah, but if there's a new Hayabusa that's already modified and its engine isn't blown up and things, I you know, mm. I'm just saying I, that that's why this bike exists. I don't see a lot of Boosas in the wild anymore. I but. You know, go down to Bandamere, and you're going to see them. Okay. So Mm. uh, your argument for the average consumer absolutely holds water. But I say for the, uh, the, the privateer motorcycle drag racer, maybe it's the best boost ever. (laughs) Maybe. Um. Hmm. I don't know. For me, it's 
Are you in a worse bike in the world this week crisis swings? No, I don't think I think I'm right. Um I don't What you're saying does kind of make some sense in that neat in that specific niche. But it's very strange to have that as kind of like your flagship signature bike when that doesn't really seem to for one thing be the the primary focus of the brand and two isn't kind of resonating with the with the public at large now you you were talking about how hard it is to replace it and you know they need something else before they do that but Kawasaki turned the ZX-14R into the concourse. Honda switched gears entirely and made and made the the Goldwing its flagship. You're Is right. There nothing Suzuki they does do? need to make a touring Busa. That would be that would be a good move to take this and just maybe even kill off the V-Strom and just go like, hey we've got this huge, ridiculous touring Busa. But how do you do a touring Busa? Because a key part of the Busa is its aero package. And how do you get storage onto this bike without messing with the fairings? So yeah, you're going to have to make the bike taller. You're basically just going to have to take this whole... Hayabusa image and just stretch it up so it's taller. Which, oddly, if you look at this new Busa and, you know, if you stretched its face like it was um, Alec Baldwin and What's-Her-Face in Beetlejuice, right? You know, when they stretch their heads up? Yeah? yeah. <laughs> if you did that to this Busa, it would kind of look like a KTM adventure. Kind of Look give, at it. Would give it, it a beak. Like, yeah, if you just stretched it like Alec Baldwin Beetlejuice style, you'd kind of end up with a KTM adventure. And I think that's a look that would work in that category. I don't know. That's... Keep keep the engine low down and tilted far forward. You know, make it big and wide and whatever, but just sort of declare like, oh, it's got like vague adventure tour looks but it's highway oriented and it just be like it's the busa tour like it's a hyper tour go fuck yourselves right i wonder if you if you stretched it up a bit taller like could you just get some panniers on there and go like full like 90s cbr 1000 f type bodywork and kind of seal the whole thing up and then just fit a bunch of storage into it i think the only thing you do is the very front part of the bodywork. you keep there and like flare it out a little bit so there's like some knee wind protection and the the sort of beak thing to it you stretch out you keep it like reminiscent of the hayabusa but then everything from the handlebars back is a completely different bike Mm-hmm. That's definitely more big, wide seat, upright riding position, all that kind of stuff. 
maybe take a tail that's like this, but just make it much, much, much bigger. So there's a proper passenger seat and luggage mounting things. You can put a top box on it, like all that stuff. And, you know, like, don't give it more ground clearance. Don't make it an off-road bike. Just go like, hey, this is a big, um, you know, something in between like a KTM adventure and a, um, what's the, what's the other bike I'm thinking of? Um, it's a, it's an all road, um, tour. Um, it's not sporty at all. Um, uh, I can't remember, but yeah, just don't even, don't put adventure or ADV or anything like that. Don't give it an actual beak. Don't give it spoked wheels. Just go like, hey, this is what, you know, new road touring bikes look like, right? Road mm-hmm. touring bikes don't look like Gold Wings and Harleys anymore unless they're Gold Wings and Harleys. They look like adventure bikes. And just go like, yeah, this is just a touring bike with a sort of Busa-like platform to start with. Because mm-hmm. I love the V-Strom, but the people have spoken and they're not really into the V-Strom. Yeah. Which is sad, but that's the way it is. So why not go with something like this for a big tour? Because everyone's going to believe in the power. People want big power on their highway tour, you know, tall, skinny-ish sort of touring bikes now. I I mean, the, the alternative is they could just be absolutely ridiculous and just say... You know what? We think inline fours are really neat. So here's an inline four adventure bike. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's not an inline four adventure bike. Just make your mark by doing something weird. An episode that I want to do in the next few months, and I want to get Junkie in on this too, because it was kind of his idea. We were going back and forth. I want to do an episode on Suzuki's weirdest moments. Because they don't have as many weird moments as other manufacturers, but the ones they've had go really far out there. And there's more than people realize. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Busa was obviously one of those moments. But, uh, yeah, I, I think if you, it's not enough just to have the Busa as your flagship. Why not have Hayabusa be your whole flagship line, right? Mm-hmm. Have this sport Hayabusa and have one like really made for drag racers and have a Hayabusa that, um, like if uh, have a Hayabusa that's more like a concourse and then have like a touring Hayabusa. Kind of like Kawasaki has, like, well, Kawasaki has too many um, uh, H2s, right? Way too many. Right. Four more than they should have. (laughs) Right. But if Kawasaki only had, like, three or four H2s, we'd be much more on board. Mm Mm-hmm. Suzuki can do that with the Hayabusa, have this premium performance sports line. But that's varied across a few. And then, like, maybe just drop it down to, like, the Jixers to just, like, like two of them or three. Like, right now, there's a lot of choices in Jixers. And the GSXS, 
can just fuck right off. I like I I've seen like two in the wild since like you know twenty two thousand oh nine, right? It, it, like the, no one wants them. Everyone wants a real jixer. So yeah, cut down the the jixer line. Go for a more premium Hayabusa line. Everyone knows the name. It, it's a name that resonates with the the older buyers that can afford them. And let's be honest, it's been a long time, and we've gone through every iteration of all these adventure bikes and BMWs, you know, GSs and KTM adventures and blah, 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 blah. And things are cyclical. And pretty soon, like the adventure bikes with their beaks and everything is going to go out of style. Suzuki could kind of be on the vanguard of a different sort of, you know, touring bike styling here. Yeah, I could see that. I've never particularly been into the adventure bike thing, and I feel like some popularity is going to wane soon. Like it, the, like it, of course it could go on forever, right? It felt like cafe racers were going to go on forever. It felt like super sport bikes were going to go on forever. But guess what? Like the craze died out, like every craze does. And at some point, people are going to be tired of these adventure bikes. They're going to have a Goldwing-like stench of old man on them. Right? Yeah. You know, and then at a certain point, the Goldwing stench will lift as well. Right? Like a lot of the, the old man stench has lifted off some of those 80s Goldwings, right? And now it's the uh, the first gen of the GL18s that, that still have the stench on them. But the old ones have become kind of retro cool. You know, in the way that, like, um, like 70s and early 80s Harley Davidsons were to some people for a little while. That You know, like, this has got a... So, yeah, I think... I don't know. I- I'm with you. Just the plain old boring Busa doesn't cut the mustard anymore i say go the if they if they could go the h2 route and expand the line then i'm not bored with hayabusa anymore Mm -hmm. but as it is yeah it's kind of been more of the same for a long time with the hayabusa i think the fact that it's been more of the same but the speed wars really aren't as relevant as they used to be. With limiters, the bikes aren't any faster. And Suzuki needs something new. They can't live in the 90s anymore. I mean, I love that they're living in the 90s. <laughs> and part of me hopes they never leave. But, yeah. I mean, there's the new Jixer uh, uh, 8S or whatever. Yeah. Is that a Jixer? Oh, Whatever. no, that's a V-Strom. No, no, the 800 Twin. Or the 800S, like the, the, the 800cc Twin Sport Bike. Oh, I haven't looked at that much. It's, 
it's cool. I, I like the styling on it. It's definitely more of a forward thing. It you know, it's like a cheaper engine, you know, because it's a twin. But oh, the idea the is that it's a okay, yeah. yeah the because it's a super sport, even though it's eight hundred, but it's only a twin, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like back when Ducati used to put um, L twin eight hundreds and whatever in the super sport category. It's in that vein. So like, they're uh, yeah, I would consider it a real super sport. It's it's kind of got those power characteristics, and I'll bet the bike's cool as shit. I'd rather it was a V-twin. But, you know, I can still, you know, the, the SV650 still exists. You can still find old TL1000s. That was a cool bike. Mm-hmm. Especially the TL1000R. The S is okay. Um... But yeah, so yeah, I don't know. Are we ready to move on to best bike in the world this week? I think so. Okay. And the best bike in the world this week is the 2018, 2019, and 2020 VMAX. Now, you picked this as a worst bike in the world this week, way in the way back machine, like about the time we started the show. Did I? Yeah, this huh. new version came out, and you weren't into it. I'm pretty sure we could we could, someone go back and check the record, but you weren't into it. I I took another look at this bike recently. Now you were talking about how there seems to be a lot of new booses, you know, been put up on the market, right? Mm-hmm. I cannot find. For sale in the United States, a 2018, 2019, or 2020 VMAX. I can't find a single one. Mm, now, interesting. it's possible these people could be, you know, underwater on them or something. But this is a bike that the 2018s, the average value on one now is like $12,000. And these were like $18,500 new. I feel like whoever bought one in 2018 must have put, you know, $5,000 down on one by now, right? $6,000 down on one. So, you know, who knows? But this is a bike that you wouldn't think it right off the top of your head, but is more powerful than a Hayabusa. We were talking about these just the other day. This motorcycle is acclaimed 200 horsepower. It's uh, 1,600 and something. I think it's actually closer to to 1.7 liters. V4. And it's... uh, it's, I mean, it's got this massive rear tire. It's got a sort of relaxed, upright cruiser riding position. You know, it doesn't come with any luggage. It doesn't have a nice windscreen. It just has stupid power. I think it's 123 foot pounds of torque. Yeah, it's stupid. I, I mean, this <laughs> is, I. 
I don't know that Harleys are tunable to this point, right? Like, I, like, I don't know if there are other engines that, that do this. So the VMAX has always been known for super duper cool technology, right? So the first VMAX had all these um, tubes interconnecting the the four carburetors. So when you got over a certain RPM... This, they had the crossfeed. Right, they had this crossfeed, so you were running two carburetors per cylinder. It was ridiculous. And, um, so the 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 last generation of VMAX, because this was discontinued by Yamaha, it still has some cool technology, right? So it basically through its CPU kind of recreates the same thing where it's tamer power down below and then it really like kicks it up when you get to the higher RPM. Just the way the map it just does it with a mapping, but they call it it's called like like YCCI. It's a it's it it's like one of our last branded uh technologies, right? But it's really, it really, as much as I read into it, didn't seem any more than a fuel mapping. But um, this bike is not fucking around either. So it's not just throwing displacement at the problem, right? To be oh. the be-all and end-all power so, cruiser. Oh, so YCCI is actually cooler than that. Apparently it actually changes the shape of the intake for oh. higher revs. Okay, well there you go. That that's that's just as cool as the V Max, like you know the V Max power system. Then, mm-hmm. um, this has um, it's called like pent like or penta shaped heads. So take like a hemispherical engine head, right? Like you'd get on like a Honda CB model, or you know, tons of things have hemispherical heads, right? Because that's like. That's the greatest, um, you know, a sphere is your best for volume, right? So you can get the most, you know, amount of air and fuel in there, right? And then the valves are at a 45-degree angle. This has the valves at, the like, the same angle like the, the V cylinders are. So it's, like, whatever the inverse is of, like, 65 degrees. Uh, I should be able to do that in my head, but I can't. Anyway, um, <laughs> so... So the top of the cylinders is like a tent, but rather than the cylinders coming at 45 degrees, it's widened out like that. And the reason is that it's done this way is this isn't the best for necessarily getting the most air and fuel in at once. This is the best setup for high compression because this is 11 and a half to one. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a motorcycle that absolutely requires mid-grade fuel i how many of we these have we talked about like three yeah it's not a lot the uh, the the amount of motorcycles that legitimately need mid-grade fuel or better is a short list so so we've got a bike that actually needs expensive fuel has cool technology has the best perhaps if if not one of like the the rarest engine types for a motorcycle the v4 
has, I mean, you know, why is everything in MotoGP a V4? Why are all the coolest Ducatis a V4? Why are everyone's most fondly remembered Hondas V4s? Because it's fucking awesome, right? It's as awesome as an inline four. And it's not just that there's four cylinders. It, the The way that this engine makes power is super cool because we're still talking 123 claimed foot-pounds of torque and 200 foot-pounds... Oh, sorry, 200 horsepower. So that means, worst-case scenario, you're getting 160 horsepower to the back wheel and, like, 105 foot-pounds of torque to the back wheel, right? Like... Worst case scenario, you're getting like the next coolest bikes like claimed numbers, right? That like you're getting the worst case scenario, you're getting what an R1 gets in a vacuum, right? Mm-hmm. Like in in a frictionless environment, you're getting what an R1 would get. Uh, so, okay. And then this isn't a bike. This isn't a form factor that you can ride all day. And you got to give me this. The VMAX, over its life, visually didn't change that much. Whether you're looking at a 2020 or a 1985 VMAX, you're looking at a VMAX, right? There's no mistaking those air scoops or that exhaust or that seat shape or that tank shape. A VMAX is a VMAX. Horrendous fuel consumption. Yeah. 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 Yeah, these bikes are not known for long range. You're, you're How many other bikes with... made in 2018 got 27 miles per gallon? Like, optimistically, probably. <laughs> this probably gets like 18 miles per gallon when, you, when you're on the throttle. I do love how I was just looking through some stuff, and there's forum posts of people saying, like, is it unusual to only get 80 to 90 miles before the fuel light comes on and people just said no that sounds about right yeah Yeah, definitely not if you own a super hawk also but yeah but that's that's not why you own a v-max to be concerned about fuel or range or whatever yeah you own a v-max for just godlike roll-on power Right. A VMAX isn't even about high revving. This thing like gets peak horsepower at 9000 RPM, which isn't bad, but it's not for particular- a V4, though. It's not it's not incredible. Like It's actually pretty modest, but yeah, it's just the displacement. Right. Yeah. So this but it's not it's not just displacement. It's displacement and some cool like engine technology. This was an expensive engine to build, and I think it's a pretty special engine, and I need to experience one. Because there's never going to come a time when 200 horsepower and people are like, oh, that could have had more, right? You know, we're talking like Ducati V4R, like type horsepower and torque numbers here. It's just not a track bike. I mean, really, what we're talking about is kind of like Honda Civic SI performance numbers in a motorcycle. Yeah, like, yeah, that's <laughs> what we're talking. Yeah, that's a- yeah, you're right. 
horsepower, torque, rev range. It's it's like it's more of like a a hot hatch like high revving four banger than it is a like a traditional motorcycle engine. Yeah. Peugeot three hundred one turbo kind of number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um. I yeah I I I. I, th- this is on my list of bikes that I must own. I I don't somehow this kind of got overlooked when it came out and wasn't really celebrated because people were like oh yeah another V Max those are fast or whatever. But the improvement on this one over the original is substantial. I mean I think the original V Max was something like a hundred and eighteen horsepower, which for the time ridiculous right yeah i absolutely bonkers but it kind of stayed bonkers throughout the year because there's at least four different generations of v max that i know of and they're all bonkers but you know but they kind of go from like fuel injected 600 super sport power up to panigale v4 power right nothing that says v max is slow and I would own any VMAX personally, but this last one is just, just so ridiculous. I, I kind of feel like I've got to go for one at one point. Yeah, I think the only thing is if I were to get one of these, something that I absolutely could not compromise on is it has to be in a bright color like red or yellow and it has to have the silver air scoops on it so i think the 2018s 19s and 20s were only black oh this one says 2018 and it's red oh well okay i mean yeah sure then i I could uh i could do black or red i mean but it's such it's such a distinct bike it's such a disturbance a disservice to have it murdered out. Sure. I I would also like to sort of buy one, put a windshield on it and just see if there's a way I could get some bags on it and ride it down to MotoGP or something just to be ridiculous. I'd probably hate myself for doing it because it's not a bike really meant for that but so that's gonna cost you like 12 bucks per hundred so that's gonna cost you like 150 dollars in fuel one way yeah (laughs) i if i've got the money to swing for one of these though i've got the money to swing for gas down to gp right that's true i mean i don't have that money right now but you know what i'm saying i mean actually in fairness i i didn't get that much better on on the valkyrie the valkyrie got yeah, a lot of gas i thought we were getting something like 24 25 highway on the goldwing and the valkyrie um like i think average we, throughout the whole trip i think once we kind of slowed down and we kind of got into a groove i think we got the valkyrie up to 30 at one point well, we were getting almost identical mileage the whole time, so. Um, as we were climbing the mountain, as we were climbing into the pass and I was just blasting it for a while, I think the lowest we got was like, 
89 miles over four gallons. There, there was a there were some big differences in the beginning, but once we each figured out how to ride the bikes, like to to the yeah, best we potential, it. we were getting almost identical mileage the whole way back. Uh, and if this is supposed to get 27 highway, I bet with a windshield and whatever, I could manage. Yeah. 20 something on it it wouldn't be that wor- that much worse just holding the throttle steady at 65 70 75 i bet it doesn't eat that much gas um mm, maybe you know I what's also awesome that. is that it gets all that wicked power with a shaft drive too it's true that's pretty fucking cool uh, yeah, it's a shaft drive performance Yamaha V4 with wacky technology. I what's not to fucking love, right? Mm-hmm. There's something there's something about it that will always be sort of Mad Max in 1980s as well. No matter what year V Max it is, it's it's just what well, the only thing about it that I can knock it on, really, is the exhaust. And it's not that the exhaust is stupid looking, because I think it's cool looking. It's a big liar exhaust. So it's a four into one header to the cat, and then that splits back into, into two, and then those split into two and two again. So it's four into one into two into four. That's a bit weird. Well, because it all runs through, like, with the one cat. Right. I mean, I guess if they need... They just wanted it to have the cool uh, four exhausts, like, two coming out each side, like the original had in the 80s. Because it's mm-hmm. a V-Max and it's got to have that look. I think it would have been okay to just run two pipes off of one side but whatever i mean it's a big motor it probably needs like that much expansion at the baffle so not if it's all running into one through the cat uh the Maybe. bottleneck would be in the four into one head like it all comes off a of four into one no i mean for the back start pressure with. It might need like that much. I mean, if you imagine that it's tuned for that much like exhaust aperture, like in the baffle, like in that much volume volumetric expansion. If you had one exhaust or one, have it on one side, that would be gigantic. Which might be cool in its own way. I don't know. <laughs> I I understand the yeah the idea that you know, it's a cheater exhaust, but I, I think it's Supposedly, okay. Supposedly the air scoops were fake on this last generation as well, but I'm not sure how or why they would be fake. I mean, you're still going to need a huge air intake for this motorcycle. Why wouldn't they just use those scoops? Hmm. But I've heard some reviews from the time being like, oh, it's running fake air scoops. Really? Still Yamaha? But yet, I don't see any other air intake anywhere on this bike. And this bike has significant need to suck up air. Right? Yeah. So, I I don't know what the complete story is there. Someone would have to explain to me where else it's 
getting air other than those air scoops because yeah it's not kind of a normal bike <laughs> i don't know it's, it's quite a massive motor massive bike. uh oh yeah also um like i said there, there's a long list of things you can criticize this bike for so for example it weighs 683 pounds which for a bike like this with almost no accessories is quite a lot it's um it doesn't have you know particularly awesome or nimble handling it's not especially comfortable it's not uncomfortable right you know but they also have to rake it out so that the front end just doesn't just lift off every time you twist the throttle right yeah (laughs) i mean it it doesn't have any cool um accessories right there's no tft display even though we hate those people you know we're loving those by 2020 it doesn't have you know rider modes or anything it doesn't have um uh it, it, it just doesn't have features right its feature is the engine so in Which that, I think I, it's I forgive it's, a lot of its shortcomings because its feature is the engine. So that's that's really what you have to yeah. focus on when you're riding this bike. I, and I think for a bike like the for like this, that's valid. When you have something so absurd, uh, that's really all you need. We don't need to add rider modes. We don't need some bullshit like phone pocket on the tank with a wireless charger we don't need the tft display well if there was room for a phone pocket on the tank you'd be like why isn't that used for more gas well uh that's not a tank no i know it's the air box yeah. but i'm but you the know actual, what I'm saying? Like, yeah the if actual- there was any extra room on this bike you'd be like why yeah. isn't it being used for fuel because <laughs> i'm wondering does this one have the uh the the fill nozzle under at, at the back seat oh like, like the old ones yeah. you know i don't know but i would imagine probably mm-hmm. but yeah it the these things have always had famously a, a small tank i don't know what the tank size is on this one but again i think this was a bike that was uh, kind of meant to exhaust you after 100 miles uh to a degree although it's got a pretty laid back seating position it's a little bit more harley like yeah but i mean you're you're still kind of hanging on to the handlebars a little bit with this thing i i i mean i would i would do an iron butt with it but like i don't think it's an ideal bike for that yeah um let me see what i can find here uh yeah, so it's only a four-gallon tank, On right? Which is twenty-seven. Yeah, this this is def. This is right. It's it's a range of like a hundred and twenty miles. Yeah, it makes and after like a hundred and ten, the fuel lights coming on. It makes the VTR look like a. It's like about a, the same as the as the Superhawk. Yeah. Well, you got a hundred and thirty miles out of the VTR one time. Yeah, and and 131 was going to be impossible. Yeah. 
those were some white knuckle miles getting down to the end of it. I was like, I'm going to be pushing this fucker real soon. I think by the time you got the tank filled up, like by measuring against the, the pump, I think. Oh, it was like, like I should have already been out of fuel. I think you got like 0.05 gallons in more than the tank killed. That yeah, was there was no in- documentation to support the amount of fuel that we put into that bike <laughs> after 130 miles. <laughs> you probably just had, you were probably just like refilling the float bowls. As, uh, as Uncle Phil would say, I was on double extra secret reserve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, all I have to say is, uh, you know, check out the last gen VMAX because, yeah, a lot of people, I think, you found. Mean the current gen. Well, they, they, I mean, it's discontinued. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It's been discontinued for three years. So I can just call it the last gen. Um, and, and will we ever see another one? I mean, a V4? I kind of doubt it. I, I would love Yamaha to bring this back, but now they've got all their money put into the H2, right? And why is there not an H2 cruiser? Like, why can't they do a V4 cruiser? Wait, wait no, the H2 is the... Oh, Kawasaki, sorry. I mean, um, but Yamaha... Yeah, I don't know. The, the, Yamaha could make, uh, you know, replace the R1 with, like, you know, this motor for, like, a V4 R1. I mean, maybe it wouldn't be a sporty or something. I don't know. Yamaha could maybe take a motor like this and make something like the Kawasaki Concourse and give them a run for their money in that category when sport tours come back in style or any number of things. I mean, to be competitive on range, it may have to be like the first nine gallon fuel tank sport. tour. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what what they would probably do is detune the motor down to like 160 horsepower Mm-hmm. And try to find a way to get more miles per gallon out of it. That's what I would do. But there's got to be something. But yeah, like the VMAX 1700, so fucking cool. Uh, uh, you know, I feel it should be as legendary as any other VMAX. I think people didn't love this one as much as the others because people that knew about the VMAX knew it was cool because of the carburetors. Yeah. I wonder if and they could just do it under the star injected. brand. If they could put this into like a big kind of like cruiser slash tour in the star brand rather than that bullshit 1800cc V-twin that's in the star venture. Yeah. Maybe bring back the venture with this motor. Yeah. You'd get my attention. The Star Venture has had a V4 in the past, I, and it was a VMAX engine. Charge $28,000 for it. You'll be like on the low end of that market. Yeah. Maybe maybe there is space for a good Star Venture. Yeah, not the ridiculous 1800 air-cooled V-twin that uh, pushrod that nobody likes. Mm. yeah yeah give it the super cool vmax motor like they tried before but it somehow there was a time of a lot of weird motorcycles and yeah it it didn't work out that time but 
maybe there's maybe there's more space for that now. Well, gold rings were complicated enough, and then when you decide to add in the four carburetors in the V4 configuration, and you put bodywork over it, every mechanic looks at it and says, yeah, no thanks. Yeah, four carburetors, four valves per cylinder on a bike where you can't get to the heads easily. It's not a lot of fun. But... I don't know. But yeah, you don't have to just... If it's lower maintenance and fuel injection, it could work this time. Yeah, but nowadays we got... And nowadays we got motors that you can go tens of thousands of miles between adjusting valves. Or even checking valves. So... Yeah. Oh, one last thing I was going to say. If you think $12,000 for a five-year-old motorcycle is too much, why don't you check out this bike's natural competitor the diavol and tell me this isn't a better choice than the than the diavol in every single way the diavol uh, there is something i don't hate the diavol the Di- <laughs> but you have to admit the diavol's the natural competitor to this right kind of yeah and they're making a v4 diavol so right right but this is kind of a diavol killer it's true. I mean, it's so ridiculous. Uh, it's so much excess. Whereas, I mean, yeah, the 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 Diavel does make the the V Max seem a little modest, which is great, but it doesn't make it look modest in horsepower. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I do kind of like the Diavel, but it is also a bike that you have to—you do have to ask yourself, who is this for? Because within the the Ducati brand, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. But somehow the VMAX works for for Yamaha. Well, Yamaha obviously decided it didn't, but yeah, I think true fans were like, yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not as a commercial success, but as a as a statement, it works a lot better. You know what might have been the VMAX's downfall is for a, Yamaha is a brand where you can put performance parts and customize, you know, at least mechanically, pretty much every part of the bike. I'm not aware of a way to fuck with a VMAX. Yeah, I mean, really, if anything, like, this would be a bike where the aftermarket feature would be a detune kit so that you could get more more fuel economy out of it. That is true. Weirdly, this is a bike that could use rider modes because this bike could use an eco mode. Yeah. This is an eco mode you might actually want to use. Hmm. I feel like if it did have an eco mode, though, it would just have to have a TFT display for the sole reason that every time you put it into eco mode, the screen could just flash the word pussy at you. Right. <laughs> did I did I get sidetracked or did I actually just um, uh, break down the, uh, the 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 pent? You did. Yeah. So, yeah. OK. Well, also, so the other thing about the – there's one thing I did forget to say, though. So I said it is best for compression, 
but it's also good for um, maximum flow. Okay, yeah. So you can't get as much air and fuel into it as you would a a hemispherical head. But with the, the pent style head, it is better for RPM just getting the exhaust all the way through the head. Okay, so it's not as... It's not going to run as dirty and keep exhaust yeah. on the next stroke. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's basically, I mean, it's, it's the go-to head style for like real high performance. Cause you're naturally increasing the, 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 whatever. And if you're running high RPM, you know, at least 9,000 or whatever, then it's sort of like, maybe we don't care as much about getting all that air and fuel into there because, we're just making up for it with RPM and compression. Mm -hmm. So that's another reason this bike gets such horrendous fuel economy for a motorcycle. But again, it's not the kind of bike where you should care. Yeah. All right. Uh, do we have emails brought up or should we do a different topic like some news or secret questions? What do you think? Uh, we can do emails. I'm going to have to skim through them because I didn't prepare them, but I think we'll be okay. All right. Yeah. Do we need to stall for time or can you I'm bring just, some up? I'm just going to do it in real time. Okay. I'm going to do it live. <laughs> we'll do it live. <laughs> okay. Uh, so just kind of picking up from where we last checked. We haven't done emails in a while. Uh, so after we had Leon on and we were talking about doing long rides, um leon sent us a message um and in i know leon's not an old guy but he did po possibly what is the most boomer move i've seen in a while yeah um <laughs> leon sent us a message a patreon message during his trip talking about um how far through he got on his ride and um in the process he set his profile picture to the map of his trip <laughs> and um yeah so well he said that he didn't know how to send us pictures and i was like well you could just put them on facebook or instagram and then send us a link to that which you or know, email us um or but, email us but yeah i it was, it was in the was, middle of a ride it makes sense what are these fucking dogs doing i don't know they're being idiots uh, but yeah, like for all of you out there, uh, you know, if you, I am not into social media, like we don't even use the Instagram for this show, but using Facebook for basically its original intention, like bullshit, fake image hosting is a legitimate way to use Facebook. It's true. Okay. Right. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. So, and, and also he was saying, um. He's go. He's actually scheduling into his work calendar like a monthly Iron Butt style ride. Well, I think he was saying he was going to keep doing rides until he got to an Iron Butt, like increasing yeah. the miles each time, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. I fully support this, and it's wonderful. Yeah, it looks like he did about five hundred miles, which is cool, especially on an NC seven hundred uh, NC seven fifty. Which yeah. At some point, I'm going to have to get an NC750X. I need to. 
And I'm going to get the dual clutch. Oh. At okay. some point, I need to. It does make sense with the dual clutch, because the dual clutch is the way that you get the most, like, you maximize the power. Well, it's the way that you, I mean, it. Well, it's only, like, 45 horsepower or something. But if you have it with the dual clutch, then you can actually accelerate more like you have 65 horsepower. There's that. Plus, it's going to be a little bit better on the fuel economy. Which is kind of what you want on that bike. You've got an already like fuel efficient vehicle. You've only got like four gallons in the tank, but you can still get like two hundred miles on the highway or more with that. And kind of it also just kind of gives you that endurance. And you've kind of got yeah the the cheater performance just with the perfect gear shifts and everything. It's the way to go. Um. What else? Uh, oh, yeah, he says a bunch of pictures and stuff. The it's pictures cool. were cool. Yeah, I looked through all of them. Uh, okay, so next email. Uh, bah, 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 bah. What is an actual email here? Yeah, this definitely is yep. in real time. <laughs> uh, so we got an email from uh, Darwin. Which is a great name, by the way. We've had an email before from yeah. Darwin. And he says, uh, good luck, gentlemen. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. You keep circling back to the Suzuki Acrosses. There seems to be a reasonable number in good or reasonable condition here in South Australia at reasonable prices. I have no idea what it would cost or what would be required to export one, but I'd be happy to be at your assistant over here and getting one shipped over there. For what I've seen recently, they have been getting advertised in the region of 1000 to 3000 Australian dollars. I had assumed reflective of condition. My caution with small capacity um, multi-cylinder bikes is that they are they would be very revving and lacking in mid-range. That's exactly what we want. Yeah. That, <laughs> no mid-range. Just get it to 13,000 RPM everywhere you go. I want to like, pull away from a traffic light in first gear at 6,000 RPM. Like... <laughs> Yeah, the idea is that every red light is a MotoGP start, but somehow you're still not breaking the law, is is the whole yeah. idea. So he says, uh, I, like you, am a full-sized human unit, and the ideal pilot for it, uh, the ideal pilot for it uh, is a small, for a small multi, is a skinny teenager of 70 kilos soaking wet. Um. Yeah, we're not going to let it stop us, though. Exactly. Since lastly, I'm not making my name up, so I expect preferential consideration in joining your vintage sci-fi-based scooter club. Oh, so this is the first listener, well, besides Motohop, um, actually, uh, okay, so you want to join the Darwins. Okay, so I've decided that, okay. So here's the thing about the Darwin Scooter Club, right? We we need to make it. A, I I've just because I I did some thinking about this, and I kind of have a lot of criteria for joining the Darwin Scooter Club. But I said that it was going to be a really low key, laid back scooter club without a whole lot of you know requirements. So why am I putting so many requirements for joining? Right, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, there's one thing I'm not going to back down on at all. 
Okay, if you're gonna join the the Darwin Scooter Club, you have to produce at least one, preferably two pages for the tome of knowledge. Okay, it can be whatever you want. It's just whatever you think might be important, you know, uh, for the tome of knowledge, and you and then um, when you add your pages. You then have to read the rest of the Tome of Knowledge. And um, what else did I say? Oh, yeah. And then, you know, you'll have to pay for your your patches and and things. But that's it. Uh, Okay, so you don't have... You also have to have a vehicle that you would call a scooter that you're willing to ride in traffic. But there's no, like, code of ethics. Fuck that. Right? There's no code of honor. There's no any of that bullshit. It's just straight up... Write pages for the Tome of Knowledge. Have a scooter. Um, although, I don't know, Swigs, should we go really far out there and it be a scooter club that allows motorcyclists? I think any motorcycle under 150 would be acceptable. What if we have two things? What if we have a Darwin Motorcycle Club and a Darwin Scooter Club? Because not a lot of our listeners have a scooter. It is a motorcycle podcast, so a lot of people aren't going to think. To I don't know. I'll, I'll I'll do some thinking about that. I really want it to be a scooter club, though. I'd like to get some 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 Vespas and Lambrettas and Honda Metropolitans and Ruckus and stuff in there. Um, we'll see. I mean, we've got a we've got a local club you know we've got some local members here but like as far as the uh oh my god these fucking dogs should we just open the goddamn door anyway the um yeah i don't i struggle with this it keeps me up at night i i really want to just have the dar to be the darwin scooter club but okay i don't know Get back to me. Say, like, if you want to email us your pages for the Tome of Knowledge, and if you want, and then, you know, you can read from the, the, the Tome of Knowledge pages thus far, and then decide that you want to jump in and be a Darwin and then pay your money. Then, you know, it's just a one time fee. There's not ongoing dues for the Darwin Scooter Club. We may have to get off our asses and actually do the, rep- the website rework which we have horrendously neglected for a long time. Well, it's PHP. Can we be blamed? It's true. Um, okay. All right. Is it next email? Next email is from Joss, who says, uh, man, nice bike of the week, which I believe was the Honda uh, CB. What, what was the? Oh, the 400 SF. The 400 SF. <clears throat> It says, uh, nice bike of the week this week. We could get them used for around uh, $5,000 US dollars in New Zealand. They aren't available to us for us new anymore. It looks like Honda stopped, pre- stopped the run in 2022. I think most people aren't interested in them because no ABS possibly. And the dual rear shocks look a bit old school. Uh, made my day today, guys. Don't change a thing. Uh, well, yeah, because I think going into 2023, everything to Australia had to be ABS. 
Like, you cannot mm. buy a non-ABS bike in Australia anymore. And so whether or not that's required in New Zealand, I'm guessing manufacturers were like, well, we're if we can't ship them to Australia, New Zealand's just de facto fucked. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me, but I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So this next one is from Dirk. And he says, uh, hello from the Netherlands. Oh. And he says, uh, what I assume is hello or greetings in Dutch, which I am not going to attempt to pronounce. Um, And he says, uh, just a quick message for me to tell you how much I enjoy the podcast. I am a part-time motorcycle gear salesperson from the Eindhoven area in the Netherlands. Cool. For winter riding. Uh For winter riding. He says, I have a 1999 Kawasaki 1000 GTR. Whoa. (laughs) Which is an interesting choice for a winter bike. Um, And he says, I bought the bike bike two years ago as a replacement for a 1992 Suzuki GSX-1100G. At the time of purchase, the 1000... Wait, bring up a picture of that bike if you can. Because, wait, you say Kawasaki GTR or Yamaha GTR? Uh, Kawasaki. Okay. Uh, bah, 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 bah. What what was what was the Yamaha Hub Center steering bike? The GTS, right? Uh, I thought that was the GTR one thousand uh, or the okay. GT one thousand. It had GT in it, but um. But yeah, this Kawasaki is, yeah. So, okay, yeah. So this is the first body style for the GTR. Nice. This is a nice one. I, did I pick this as a best bike? Yeah, this was like the, this was two Tiki episodes ago. Okay, good. Um, So then, so super rad. And then he says, um... At the time of purchase, the the, the GTR had roughly 35,000 kilometers on it. Uh, I do about 10,000 kilometers of winter riding per year. 10,000, so about 6,000? Uh, around 6,000 miles. In, just in the winter? Just in the winter. On this Hardcore, bike. bro. Awesome. And he says, uh, mostly commuting with an occasional two-up day trip into Belgium or germany i've done all the things to take the bike uh to the bike that you mentioned in one of your recent best worst bike episodes valve adjustments brakes suspension etc it's a super cheap and reliable winter bike it does not snow out here all that much but it gets cold and wet so a full fairing shaft drive bike is definitely the way to go for winter yep my summer bike is a 2023 yamaha xsr 900 that was delivered to me in april 2023 I love the motor and the handling of the XSR 900. To me, it is much better than the twitchy, nervous MT-09 and a completely different bike than the previous XSR 900, which I rented in Spain in 2018. The old XSR 900 felt unfinished and a little scary at times. Totally agree with you on the styling aspect of the current XSR 900, but if you sit on it, you don't have to look at it. 
Uh, Fair. <laughs> well, I do love that motor because I believe that spec of the motor is what they put in the Niken and the mm-hmm. GTR, nine, the Tracer 900 that you re- rode. Yeah, and I we would say- both had no complaints about that engine. We just didn't yeah. particularly like the, the body package we were riding with it. I would say the previous incarnation of that 900 triple that I rode in the Tracer, uh, I did not like that. Oh, really? I I think the problem was it was the first, I was either the first year or the second year of the throttle by wire. Uh, And it was a very, very, that, that was very twitchy. And I like, even in like moderate traffic, like that was a bike I was like hit bouncing off the rev limiter on because it was just such a, it was such a short throw and the feedback wasn't good. Yeah, I don't remember. Can you just open that door? Because these dogs are going yeah, fucking crazy. They're well, they're just gonna make more fucking noise in here. But whatever, give it. A, we'll give it a try. So, okay. The, yeah, just let people deal with the dog noise. We already made the decision. We've already, yeah. So, okay. Um, the, uh, so the, the, yeah, all I can say is I don't remember if the, um, just ignore him. I don't remember if the, I don't, I don't, I don't care to look it up right now, but I don't remember if the Niken was ride by wire, but. It didn't feel twitchy. I I liked the motor. I liked everything about it. I, I was think just they like, just figured it out. I was just like, this front end feels heavy and weird, and you know what it, the front end of the Nikon felt like? It felt like the um. It felt like a much more powerful um, uh, Honda Gyro, right? Because as much as I love the Gyro. It's not a great handling experience. It's true. It's it's vague and weird, and it really takes you a while. Oh, my God. Dog's out. Hey, dog's out. All right. There we go. Um, it, it's a, it was a vague, weird, washy experience, and I, I just hated the handling of the Nikan. And even on the test ride, I was like, fuck this. No, thanks. But if you recall, the one of the when I got off the bike, one of the first things is I said, "I love this motor. I just wish it wasn't in an Eken." Yeah. Um, okay, so then he also says, uh, "I ride my summer bike from April to October, about fifteen thousand kilometers of summer riding, uh, summer commuting, and fun trips across Europe. To me, it's fast." enough for me uh smooth comfortable and at home on almost any type of road i love it these are my current active motorcycles i also own a honda super cub with a 110 honda wave motor that bike has been uh needing a recommissioning for quite a while now i rode it from anchorage alaska to ushia i assume that's close argentina in uh, 2004 to 2005. Wait, he rode what from Anchorage to Argentina? Uh, a Honda Super Cub with a Honda Wave motor in it. What? I the 
not even C90 Adventures made it. <laughs> um, well, to be fair, he went all the way across Can- uh, Canada and then down to the U.S. and back across and then yeah. down. So I guess we could at least call it a tie. But <laughs> that that is a long way to go on that bike. And hats off to you. If you're going to do it again, let us know. Maybe I'll <laughs> come along with you. Uh, he also says, um, anyway, just to let you know that I enjoy the show very much. Thank you for many entertaining episodes and educational hours of motorcycle content that you've provided and keep providing. If you ever want to do a motorcycle gear episode and you need some input from Europe, do not hesitate to contact me. Yeah, sure. A- absolutely. I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I feel like the only gear I can really talk about is helmets, but, you know, what's what, what's needed, what the stats are on injuries and, like, you know, what kind of gloves, what level of gloves and helmets. Even on body armor, I'm kind of vague. I haven't looked up the ratings and materials and standards on body armor for, like, five or six years. Well, a European gear salesman is the person to talk to, because if, if I recall... I believe the Netherlands actually has a motorcycle jacket requirement, which um, I believe, you know, corresponds to the the CE ratings. So uh, that might be interesting. Mm -hmm. Worth doing. Yeah. Um, We can talk about what's actually worthwhile kind of like gear accessories to get, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So there's... That. Okay, so then we got a message from Joss, who said, um, this is in response to uh, the the uh, the flack we got for, for swearing. Joss says, uh, your style swearing vibe aligns with ours. Swiggy dropping a C-bomb made my day. Um... I assume that is probably the episode we had with Leon because that's that sounds right. That's where it would have it would have just been automatic. There, have probably. we dropped any any squares on this episode this far? It's been kind of low key. Just the occasional casual fucking but okay. Yeah. Not not nothing too ridiculous. Um and then he also says uh topics. Swing arms. They bend apparently. Uh, how does he satisfy with the bike you already own? Small windshields, pointless, hearing protection, hi-fi, audio earbuds. Uh, these are basically just all some suggestions, which I think we've done some of these before. We need to look into swing arms a little bit more. We should do like a sort of swing arm episode because there is a lot mm-hmm. with swing arms. Um, short windshields, pointless. I'm going to say not necessarily, but usually. So, uh, arrow is a weird fine art. I mean, just ask Honda. They've been losing their asses in MotoGP, large part due to arrow. A properly angled windshield, even a tiny one, can do amazing things. Just the hat, because you remember how effective the bodywork was on that zx6e ninja i had yeah i mean you you looked at it and you were like this bike has no wind protection whatsoever 
And then you rode around on it and you were like, oh my God, only like the top three inches of my helmet catches wind. Mm. You know, so if you were in a tuck, you were completely inside it. And the Superhawk was surprisingly good as well. The Superhawk was pretty good, yeah. And then the Norge looked like it had about half the wind protection of my Goldwing with the Vetter. But it was like 90% as good as the Vetter. Yeah, well, I mean, the lower fairing wasn't very good, but the um, that windscreen, like, the actual wind protection it gave you, like, extended, like, four or five inches above where the windshield ended. Like, the way that it, like, pushes the air out, it often gives, it's not just a straight cross-section that it gives you. Like, the way that it changes the airflow often provides more wind protection than the actual cross-section of the windscreen itself. Right. I think the least amount of windshield that did the most amount of wind protection, not the most wind protection I've ever had, but the least amount of windshield that did the most amount is on Mike's... um, um, On the Ulysses? On the Ulysses. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not as much wind protection as I want, but for what might be like two square feet of like windshield i mean, it, yeah. it did a lot for like that amount of windshield mm-hmm. yeah um yeah i guess um i don't know i think we've done some of these topics before i mean i have nothing i can really add on swing arms there i need to do some reading on swing arms but i think that's mm-hmm. a good topic to get into in a mm-hmm. couple weeks yeah I think maybe there's some of these we can I think we've we've already gone over like hearing protection and you know audio stuff and um and you 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 did change the spring on your on your uh dirt bike. So, I don't know, maybe maybe we can go do some of these at some points. We should we should probably maybe revisit audio at some point, but um Yeah, we should we should think about those. Well, much more important than changing the springs is actually doing the suspension setup on your dirt bike or regular motorcycle, mm-hmm. like set the sag and all that kind of stuff. And that's a very Googleable thing, but people aren't going to look it up. So I, maybe we could do in a couple of weeks, we could do some reading on the uh, on 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 swing arm design you know sort of concepts and then add in a suspension a rear suspension setup guide because it's not especially complicated but i know a lot of people immediately went and did their brake fluid after we did a quick breakdown on how to do it and how easy it is to do it and how it's not fucking complicated and you should just go and do your brake fluid do it right now as you're putting your bike away for winter or whatever. It'll mm-hmm. be fine. It's considering people just never fucking change their brake fluid. It's fine to do it in winter when you're not going to ride the bike for a few months, because that's better than just not doing it in the spring. Like way better. Mm. So, okay. 
Uh, we got an email from Mike who says, Mike from Oregon here. I tried listening to some clean podcasts. They were fucking boring. So fuck my fucking grandkids. I'm sticking with you fucking guys. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Mike. Fuck your grandkids. What a conversion. (laughs) Mike, we're so glad to have you back. (laughs) I I mean, I wasn't going to take offense. I mean... (laughs) You should go listen to the podcast that we suggested, like This Motorcycle Life, which yep. sadly is no longer. But, yeah, okay. We didn't die. You just. Well, it's on hiatus. Yeah. I, I mean, well, you said it like he was gone. But. Oh, yeah. Bruce isn't dead. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bruce, if you came across that way. Um, there we go. All right. Um, okay, so we got one email uh, from uh, Hank, who says, Patreon member here, have you guys seen Ben Spee's comments on the current state of MotoGP? Interestingly, uh, or interesting, fellow used bike warrior 77 Yamaha XS750 05 Kawasaki VN2000A Vulcan. Whoa, these are some seriously, like, fetishist bikes. So we famously love the Vulcan 2000, but, you know, the XS750 is a bike we haven't talked about. Um, That's a chicken tax bike, isn't it? No. Or is that pre-chicken tax? I think it's pre-chicken tax. I want to say it's a late 70s, early 80s thing, where I want to say the chicken tax was like, 83 to 87 somewhere in there mm-hmm. um oh, xs750 do we um i want to mm. say the exit so the xs750 is you would think it would be like oh the bonneville 650 to 750 they just up the size of the twin no they're very different bikes the xs750 is an air-cooled inline triple oh Okay, interesting. I it's cool. It makes a good amount of power for an air-cooled triple of the time. It's definitely better than, like, an old vintage Rocket 3, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of the idea, where the XS, the XS650 was the best Bonneville they never made. The XS750 was kind of the best Rocket 3 they never made, but it never caught on and got the cult status of the XS650. Mm-hmm. And then they made an 850, which is way better. But the 850 is even less known than the 750. That's a whole weird rabbit hole to go down. And we should at some point because they're cool, bi- or they're at least weird bikes that are up our alley. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. So he says he also has an 04 BMW R1150R. And he says, Oh, uh, like nobody bought those. Like, oh. this is a man after our hearts. This is, this is a weird bike owner. Okay. Mm-hmm. Says, uh, need to put some bags on the Beamer this winter for some sport touring next summer. Uh, keep it the good work, guys, and keep fucking the dragon. Keep fucking the dragon, yes. So I guess we should, uh, I don't know if you saw the clip of what uh, Ben Spees said. I did not. So uh, he said it fairly politely, but essentially Ben Spees has kind of come out against the aero packages and winglets. 
Um, ben. But for good reason. Okay. He gives a decent reason. And the reasoning is that essentially the way that the bikes ride now with the downforce from uh, the, the current arrow makes it gives the riders way less opportunity to pass each other. Uh, and that's his primary reasoning against it. Just mainly because of, you know, dirty airflow behind the bikes and just kind of how much, how much, you know, it, it's hard to find a place to overtake people right now. And that's kind of his his position, which I think I'm not aware of MotoGP having an overtaking problem. Well, it certainly doesn't in comparison to Formula One, um, but it has gotten it hasn't been as good as like I remember like the 2018 2019 seasons being fucking crazy. And it's it has it has kind of dropped off a little bit in terms of how much they were fighting before. I'm I I mean I don't know if I agree with this. I haven't noticed less passing. But I mean I could look at some stats and and whatever. My, I thought the big argument against Arrow is it's kind of a a pay to win sort of technology category. Whereas, you know, KTM has done so much better because they get to use the Red Bull like, you know, um not Red Bull but the yeah, the Red Bull um, Formula One wind tunnels. Right. They can't officially say that's what they're using, but like that's what they're using, right? And I mean, I, th- I think if they are, they're probably cheating because I believe wind tunnel testing is restricted. Uh... I believe there's a limited amount of wind tunnel testing you're allowed to do, or maybe that that's what it was a few years ago. Yeah, I don't maybe, know. Maybe they just changed it after they changed it to the number of aero packages. But Honda, for example, doesn't really have. Do they? I know they stopped their Formula One team a couple years ago. I don't know if they've brought it back up. I mean, they obviously supply a shitload of Formula One engines, but I don't think they have like a team for it anymore, and all that mm-hmm. shit, and like. You know, Honda's thrown throwing a shit ton of money into the engineering of the bike. I think at the the Valencia test, Honda flew in twenty three top level engineers to oversee the testing of the new bike. <laughs> uh, Honda is yeah. throwing all the money and resources they have because they've got serious fucking egg on their face. And well, they not only that, but they did so badly. Gains. They did so badly this season that they actually they get concessions next year. Not only do they get concessions, they get the most. So they restructured how they're doing the concessions. So there's four tiers. There's tier one, which is basically, you know, no concessions, right? Like you get this many engines, this many wild card rides, this many whatever, and that's just sort of the baseline. Yeah. But they also had things and- like um the wild card rides don't count towards the manufacturing um, points. The, yeah, the constructors championship. Yeah, yeah. And, and then like there's that. like tier two. You get like a couple more engines and whatever. Like tier three and tier four are what we kind of used to consider like the yeah where you the get concessions. Ex- you get extra category. engines. You get another aero package swap. I like, think tier four, you might get unlimited aero package swaps this next year. 
It's ridiculous. Which is fun because Honda might put out some wacky shit. I think they also get extra tires as well. They do. Like it's yeah. yeah, yeah. So so now there's no such thing as going from like basically there's like three tiers you go through until it's essentially no concessions, right? Like it's just there's the concessions is in four categories. So one is essentially no concessions. Two is really the same thing, but three and four. So remember like teams used to celebrate when they lost concessions? Yeah. Under these new rules, there's no real moment for that. But there is like, oh, we go from tier three to tier two. But that's not really the same as no concessions, to, you know, concessions mm-hmm. and no concessions. But yeah, Honda and Yamaha, I believe, are both in tier four, the yeah. lowest group. So Honda, let's expect Honda and Yamaha to throw some weird shit out there. Uh, I think, I, I don't remember this, but there may even be a thing. Uh, I need. I haven't. I shouldn't even say this because I haven't. I didn't read into it enough. But the way the wild card rides work, they may even get to put a wild card rider out there when they have both their regular riders. Like just produce a third bike for more data. Mm. So we may see something where there's like Quattararo, Mir, and Cal Crutchlow out there on Yamahas. Mm-hmm. Um. Also, it's a weird thing because the concessions, uh, apparently Valentina Rossi is talking with Yamaha again, and in 2025, VR46 might run Yamahas. Mm -hmm. And because of the new structure that's going to level the playing field a little bit, he's sort of a little bit more like, ah, we could go back to Yamaha, you know, like... No one has a closer relationship with Yamaha than Valentino Rossi. Mm-hmm. Like he was to Yamaha what Mark Marquez was to Repsol. Yeah. Um, or I mean Honda. Speaking of, mm-hmm. I don't know. Should we, we, we got to roll through? I was yeah. about to go into the whole more about the testing and the Marquez yeah. brothers, but we got to roll we through the that. emails. Uh, yeah. So we got an email from Jay who decided to post a picture showing that there were stacks of the henry hoover at his local appliance store also uh embarrassing uh revealing the fact that he is essex white trash um (laughs) (laughs) should have left that out Again, <laughs> we lived in Bishop Storeford, which culturally was not Essex, but there's no way to live closer we were on to the front, Essex. We were on the front lines. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I we spent I spent many an evening in Harlow. Oh my god, what a shithole. Or where? <laughs> now, Harlow is a shithole, but where is an extra shithole? <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Where is straight up dangerous compared to Harlow? Right. Harlow at least has a police presence, right? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, what a it's fucking weird though because Essex nightmare. in general is actually quite posh. It's just that the section of Essex that we were close to is the shitty part of Essex. That's true. Yeah. There's actually quite – we can't really talk that much shit about Essex because in general, Essex is actually quite nice. But uh, yeah. not West Essex. 
Not our exposure. Not our <laughs> exposure. Which is Harlow and its various adjacent slums. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Want to go to a weird-themed, overpriced, dangerous nightclub? Harlow's got you covered. <laughs> right. Uh, All right. So this one is from Davis, who says... Uh, Oh, he's linked a picture. I don't remember this. Um, this is of a... So a bike that we talked about, but if money wasn't an option. Oh, the Honda Juno. Which one? Uh, the 63. <gasps> so one of these just popped up for sale in like New York. Is this that one? Uh, It looks like it, yeah. Yeah, I, I saw this listing a couple days ago and I was like, oh my God. If I haven't if I hadn't just already thrown all my eggs and money and savings into this fucking like sort of tech business that I've just started, like oh I would sell a lot of things to produce the money for this right away and drive across the country and get it. This is uh oh, I this one isn't even all that expensive. And so there's two Honda Junos. And I believe they're both flat twins. And so there's one that predates this from the 50s that almost looks like a miniature, like like if a Honda Goldwing was a 1950 scooter. But this one is a, yeah, a... a a flat twin, you know, B- BMW-ish, you know, boxer. And I prefer this one, the 60s Juno, which is a mm-hmm. hot take in the scooter world. A hot take. But I prefer this one, actually. I think there's something very sort of 1960s jet set about it. Mm-hmm. I think... In in 1963, this is ultra modern, and in the context of its time, I love this scooter. I love the lines. I love the look of the motor. I love the exhaust. I love everything. I love all the little details, all the compartments, the seats. Everything for me just hits sweet spots, and I know. Most people don't agree, but yes, Kenai, this is a, this listener, he fucking gets it. All right. You have tapped in to what the fuck I'm talking about. This is, yes, I am already aware of this listening, this listening. Yeah, it's right next to Yonkers. Yep. I'm already aware of this listening and I have, I've already cried myself to sleep because I can't have it. Mm-hmm. All right, so we got another email from Joss saying, um, I have not looked into this at all yet, but at some point I will. He said, uh, guys, please have a chat about uh, Jixabra on YouTube. Jesus Christ, that's a rabbit hole right there. Um, um, yeah, I haven't looked at this either. We're going to have to. We'll have to we'll check it out at some point. Um I have to assume that Jixabra is guilty of a lot of Jixarism and uh, R6 behavior. 
Uh, just looking at his thumbnails, that is definitely the case. Um, so, can um, we just watch something muted and and maybe do a little play by play? I don't know. Yeah. So, looking at some of the titles of his videos. Uh, what kind of gas mileage do you get at 180 miles an hour? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the answer is none. But yeah. it also says, uh, "I just wanted a sandwich," uh, with um, impact font saying on the t- on the thumbnail saying 145 in a 70 mile an hour zone. Uh, <laughs> uh, Another video called, uh, titled Speed Limit Tutorial. (laughs) (laughs) This guy, I'm not going to lie, this guy sounds kind of (laughs) awesome. What kind of mileage do you get at 180? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. um, Okay, we we will research and get back to you on on Jixibra. Maybe this is someone we can have on the show. Uh, oh, apparently he raced Yami Noob, um, which whatever I could beat because... Yami Noob, dude crashes every time he goes over a hundred. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there's uh. Yeah, now that's a tight squeeze at 160 miles an hour. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I this is this sounds like pure chaos, and I'm all for it. Um, yeah, sadly I am too. I, I feel like I shouldn't be for it, but yeah. I am. Yeah. It's sort of like the kind of, uh, the kind of guilt I had at watching like the original, um, the original like Ghost Rider videos where, um, do you remember the Ghost Rider who like, who yeah, but, like the guy, this was like, he had like 2007, 2006, there was a guy who like posted mo- like videos to Google Video of um, like him finding cops, getting them to chase him, and then running from the cops. Whoa! Like, <laughs> okay, this was old. School I mean, every crazy. time you say Ghost Rider, I think of two things. I first I think of Nicolas Cage, obviously. Yep. And then I think about that documentary, Ghost Riding the Whip, which, if you've never seen, I highly, highly recommend. Mm-hmm. It starts out as a, a documentary about the Bay Area hyphy scene, and then it just becomes a documentary about um, was it Mac Miller? No, uh, Mac, uh, whatever his face is. Um, but yeah, excellent, excellent YouTube documentary. Uh, mm-hmm. Just tons of fun. S T U P I D. When we go to the club, we don't need ID. All right. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, next email. Or are we out of email? Uh, that's it. That's it. Okay. Yep. Cool. Uh, let's see here. Um, we're still under two hours. I want to suggest something, right? And mm-hmm. this is getting back to Cleveland Moto canceling their ride, right? Tell me what you think about this, Wiggs. Because they don't want to do a full 24-hour ride, okay? What if we did a ride that was not a race, 
At the end of it, we could hand out some awards, but they wouldn't be necessarily based on time. What if we did a ride that uh, from Greeley to Salt Lake City down to Denver, like a, an iron butt, 1,000 miles and 24-hour ride, and we decided to do it in, like, next August, right? Mm-hmm. People could show up in person and do it with us or just sort of leave with us and do it at their own pace or whatever. But we could also have people call in and say on the same day, they'll do an iron butt wherever they are. And this would be a good use for actually using the the Instagram for the show, right? Mm-hmm. And every few hours, everyone that's doing an iron butt with us can sort of check in. You know, and go like, hey, I'm this many miles in. How are you guys doing? You know, we'll all kind of mm-hmm. like just check in at gas stops real quick. Right? Yeah. And like, it'd be great if you could make it to Colorado and do it with us. But if not, just set out a, a route and, you know, send it to the Instagram and go like, hey, guys, this is the ride that I'm going to do at the same time you're doing it. And, you know, if you're in a different time zone or whatever, that's fine. But, like, adjust it so you're leaving at the same time we are. Mm -hmm. And then we'll have all these listeners and everyone that wants to participate doing an iron butt ride at the same time. I think that'd be pretty cool. That'd be a good, that'd be a great kind of story generator. Yeah. Amongst everyone doing it. Because I was trying to think of a way, like, how can we do an iron butt that's not just, like, the iron butt rally, right? Mm-hmm. And now, you won't get any patches for this. I mean, I mean, if you want to, you can document your miles and, like, put in for an iron butt sticker or whatever. Again, Swigs and I can tell you, for all the iron butt rides we've done, we've never actually mailed off for the, the, the stickers and patches because, I don't know, I feel like after you do it, you know you've done it. Yeah. And when you tell someone that you've done an iron butt, they can kind of size you up. And if they if they've done it, like they can tell like if someone tells me they've done a thousand miles in twenty four hours, I can I just instantly know if they're full of shit or not. Right? Mm-hmm. Once you've done it, you you can just sort of look at someone and be like, okay, yeah, they did it or they didn't. Like, I, you know, you don't need the patch to fucking prove it. You just don't. But I thought, okay, like, in the spirit, like, instead of, like, whining about Phil not putting on this race in the way that I would like to do it, why don't we just have a thing that's a little bit more our thing? Mm -hmm. And our thing is Saddle Sore 1000s, right? We really particularly like that kind of ride. So what if we do the A to A, right? And other people can do an A to B or another A to A or whatever. And why don't we just pick some weekend in, say, August 
where, you know, you don't have to go on vacation for this. You don't have to travel across the country or the world or whatever. And because it's 24 hours, essentially, like you might do this in 20 hours, but it's probably going to take like 22 or 23 hours, honestly. And Mm -hmm. because it's that kind of thing, it doesn't really matter when you leave. And I think if you're in a weird time zone, it's worth leaving at noon or two in the morning or whatever time to do it because... It doesn't matter. You're going a full 24 hours. You're going to ride through all of the dark and all of the day, right? So, you know, just go just go for it. Um, I don't know. I'm not officially announcing this, but, like, what, what do you think, Swigs? This is in real time. Like, what's – I think because you've got this thing of people doing it all at the same time, potentially around the world – that makes this a little bit of a unique event, right? Yeah. Well, it's also the one event that you can legitimately do all at the same time, because if it's a 24 hour event, it doesn't matter when you stop and start, when you start and stop, you're going to be doing it at crazy hours anyway. So yeah, I like it. Okay. Okay. What if we do this too? Like instead of like an iron butt patch, what if we just sort of like everyone that claims to have done it can can send in for just some sort of patch that we create? Let's do a sticker, but yeah. Something. Yeah, yeah I mean something. But like yeah. I I I would like to offer that out as an idea instead of since the Iron Buddy, I was so excited about the Iron Buddy. I mean, apparently they're still going to do some sort of thing. Also, I have to bring this up. Phil, Phil saying it was two different, like, 12-hour races or whatever. Through their cowardice, they don't realize that they've actually put themselves at risk of losing twice. Because... <laughs> Well, so so it was going to be a four-man team, right? So everyone was only going to have to do six hours. Mm-hmm. Now two people have to do 12 hours. It's an even more stressful ride. Yeah. So we're guaranteed to win even more, right? If we show up for these two 12-hour rides, I'll do one, you do the other, and we're just going to win them both. Oh, is it going to be one rider? I, if it, he was saying it was going to be a one-way ride. So unless someone like sets off hours ahead of time, like a day ahead oh, of time in a car okay. and just like stays at a motel and then meets you and you swap off the bike like six hours in or something, I mean, how is it not going to be one rider? I guess you could have a support van. Oh, is this not going to be at the track anymore? I don't know. I I, th- I think he was saying it was going to be a sort of like a 12-hour A to B, like leave at 6 in the morning, get there at like, you know, 6 at night or something. I mean, I'm not even going to have to be sober the night before for that. I know, I, 12 hours, like, pff, whatever. All right. Mm, hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, they're go- we're going to be the 2024 Iron Buddy and whatever this is champs. 
it's not even going to be fair. Uh, so they think that they're adjusting for safety, but what they're really doing is adjusting for losing. It's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. Right. I feel sorry for Cleveland Moto. All right. Um, okay. Let's see. Anything else that we want to cover? Um, we could do sort of my uh, my my bucket list bike list, or I know there were other things. Any any news stories we want to talk about? Um, I know I saw some interesting things. Not off the top of my head. Let me see here. So I saw some things. Let me try to find them. Um, so new stories of note. Um, so CFMoto is putting out a 675 triple that's supposed to be over 100 horsepower and over 50 foot-pounds of torque and kind of get into the super sport category. And that doesn't really shock me that they can make a motor that produces those numbers, right? Like Triumph's Triumph 675 did, did it at like 120 horsepower. Yeah, Triumph did that 10 years ago with the Daytona. More than 10 years ago. And they made it, it was 130 horsepower. Right. So it doesn't shock me that they can do that. Really, this is more of a story about the CF Moto hype in general. Mm. It seems that everybody's fucking sold on CF Moto, and I'm not sold yet. Uh, we haven't seen these bikes in the wild for more than a year yet, really. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I mean, well, it was like with... Um... <clears throat> It's like with SSR, you know, when SSR came out, you know, we were kind of optimistic about it, but at the same time, it's like, well, who knows this is going to work out. But then when every kind of like small dealer was like, was saying, you know what, let's stop trying to sell like the Royal Enfields and all these other different bikes. We can just sell like the SSR kids bikes and the one, the one, two fives all mm -hmm. day. And we can just do everything on volume and then people showing up to you know to the dirt track with them and saying yeah this is like easily the best money i've ever spent right you know we kind of became believers um but i still haven't seen a cf moto in the wild yet well ditch's friend is one that he says he's really into but you know, I, I believe that these motors are going to last a few years or whatever, or the motors might last uh, in proportion to their price or whatever. Mm -hmm. My thing is that I've heard people say, oh, these are put together well. I've been up close on these bikes. The fit and finish is not good. The plastics are obviously cheap, and they're obviously going to deteriorate fast. These bikes, like, if you have yeah, the one ones, of these the in ones apartments, saw... and even if you just, like, park them not in a garage or not out in the open, but, like, under, like, under like an apartment, like, you know, covered parking spot, but, yeah. you know, still kind of open. Looking at the finish we saw at MotoGP, 
I was like, it whatever color you chose when you bought your bike, your CF moto is going to be yellow in like five years. Right. Yeah. Unless this, these motorcycles sleep in a hyperbaric chamber. The, the, yeah, right, there's yeah. gonna be some yeah the like yeah their their the panel gaps were weird the okay first of all I nobody fucking cares about panel gaps I there's lots of I things, do I don't I, I can't nobody does it, it it gets me it gets me now, when shit I, doesn't meet <laughs> together right I'm like what is this I I, no, I mean the only the only the biggest thing for me was just looking at was looking at the plastics and the finish on it. It was like, this is not something that anybody else uses, and I do not trust this to stand up at all. Right. I think there are 80s, there are 80s, um, like, uh, not the CRF. What was the 80s Honda? There were a lot of The them. air-cooled dirt bikes. Um, the XRs. The XRs. Yeah, like, the XR plastics are going to hold up decades longer they're going to be, in like five years, they're going to be XRs with plastics that look better than like 20, than, than 2023 20, CF, CF motos. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Like, I don't know what these forks are. Like, how long are these fork seals going to, like, you know, is this, like, you're going to have to rebuild these forks every five fucking, like, years? Well, I mean, you should anyway, I guess, in a sense. But, like, you know, like every two years, are these forks going to start, like, leaking? Um, you know, how quickly are the shocks going to wear out? Um, I mean, you know, sprockets and chains could be made. They're, they're going to be made out of cheese. But, you know, you can replace those with better ones, obviously. Are you going to be checking valves like you would on an 80s or 90s motorcycle? Yeah, what's the service interval on these valve adjustments? Is it 10,000 miles? Is it 3,000 miles? Like, the... I don't. The thing about me, like, I'm ready to believe that the that these bikes are just fine. But everybody seems to be on board with this shit, and I'm like, why? You can't be on board this quick without I, like the Misfits, for example, like all of them that I like when I went to California and when we were at. Um, whatchamacallit uh vintage day they're like oh my god these cf motors they're gonna change everything it's like it's like the new honda like honda in the in the 60s and 70s this is cf mode i'm like slow your roll i they just really hit shores in meaningful numbers sure that you've been able to buy them for like a decade but like have you seen the cf motors that were for sale 10 years ago hot garbage the one thing i will say is um the biggest thing that you need to be able to do if you're starting a new brand is you just need to fucking kill it on the part support right away. And that's something that SSR did. I'm wondering what it's going to look like for CF Moto. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm ready to believe. I just need to see some evidence. And I haven't seen the evidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we've seen the evidence in that, you know, they're sponsoring race teams. They're being aggressive with test rides and things like thus far. It's very positive. I just need to be like, oh, yeah, I bought a CF someone to say I bought a CF moto like two and a half years ago. 
Oh, really? How's it been? Haven't had a problem with it. Okay. Now we're talking, right? Yeah. I'm just not going to be an early adopter to a Chinese brand. I don't care how weird or like whatever that sounds. I'm just not going to be. Uh, you know, we were cautious. We were optimistic, but cautiously optimistic about SSR, which was a Chinese brand. But I don't know. They they kind of showed us the goods. And I mean, they fucking sold a lot of those fucking things. And people in general are happy. Is it a brand you're going to like hang your hat on? Fuck no. But I mean, you know, did they deliver like, hey, for the price of one like four fifty, you can deck out the whole family with dirt bikes. Yeah, they've delivered on that, mm-hmm. right? You know, when you're riding with your kids, is it okay to have something that's like competitive for the late nineties? Yes. So, okay. Um, what else did I see that was a bit of a story? Um see kimco's got some sort of like tracker thing for anti-theft whatever i mean i you know that's great but oh the cbr 600 rr at least in europe is getting winglets i'm on board with that i'm on board with it too i mean that's really as far as that story goes but i'm on board with that um yeah, there there were some other things. Apparently, there's going to be like a new um, Italjet Dragster 500 or some shit. You know, like I mean, maybe there will be, maybe there won't. I don't know. Um, uh, what else is interesting? Really, not a whole lot. Like I, I don't know. Ikema hasn't really blown me away this year. Yeah, me neither. Really, I think. Well, we're also just in this weird area where we're we're down to This has really just been the year of essentially the second iteration of the parallel twins in smaller displacements. And Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a cool direction to go. There's a lot of interesting bikes, but there's there's nothing that knocks your socks off this year. There's nothing crazy. Well, all the cool things are shit that's happening overseas, right? Like the Honda 1100 Hawk. Why don't we have that yet? You know, mm-hmm. like the like the the CB1000R that you had as worst bike in the world. That I was like, I don't know, I kind of like this bike. That's becoming a CB1000 Hornet in Europe. But again, we're not going to get it. It's basically that new CB750 Hornet, but just done as a 1000 inline four with like the 2017 or 18 Fireblade motor. Right? And it's cool as shit. We're not probably going to get it, but I don't know. I, but everything that's cool is happening in Europe and Japan, where people seem to be willing to spend money on new and cool and funky motorcycles. And we just kind of just keep getting, oh, here's a a slightly modified Africa Twin. Okay, we'll give you a Transalp in a year or something. I don't know. 
But I, I don't know. I just can't get my dick hard about a trans alp. I don't know what it is. I just can't. I. Again, this is why we need a new like adventure race series. We need like a long. We need like a, a Baja style. Uh, race. We need like a instead of like a Dakar. We need a Pan oh, yeah. American ADV. Yeah, we need a Pan America ADV. Like it'd be even better. It'd be even better if it like started in California and like went up through the upper like or, yeah, or BDR ADV or or no. We need the Trans America Trail Race. Yeah, if we could have an unbroken race where like every start was the finish of the last race and it just circled the u.s which is coast to coast or coast to coast would work as well i'm good with the coast to coast uh, go west to east the first year go east to west the second year like have like a, the back road cannonball Ooh, just no pub no public roads allowed no public roads no allowed. no paved yeah. no no paved no public paved roads allowed oh yeah, we. That's yeah. good. We Again, you can still sell like seats for. You can sell campsites as seats for it, and all that. Have mm-hmm. people set off in different stages over the hour. So as you camp out or whatever, there's bikes going by all day. Yeah, we we need the like the American. Every landowner jacket. across that is going to be like, "Fuck yeah!" It'll make, I, I'll so, make much- so much money. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's just to sell the parking and the campsites and everything to those people along the way. Like, mm. Especially, like, if you're, like, a farmer and you can sell you can sell rights to, like, film on your land and stuff. Oh, my God. Yes. The red tape is so much less than an actual cannonball. I mean, National Cannonball Day was a particularly inspired idea of ours, but this is way more realistic yeah i we should do this there's no off-road speed limit right right (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't exist we yeah you just need i mean you need to sign a lot of private landowner contracts and all that but i i feel this is doable because all you have to say to them is like yeah like, you know, well, 300 bikes are going to come through in one day and they're like going to gonna dig a bit of a channel into your grassland or whatever. But look how much fucking money you're going to make. Well, I mean, like across the Midwest, like how many routes are there that are just a shit ton of BLM land? Like it could just be on federal land. Huge portions of it, but inevitably, inevitably it's going to have to go through some sort of public land. But I feel like there's a lot of public landowners that are just going to be down on this. You mean private land? Sorry, that's what I meant. Private landowners that are going to be down for this. Just be like, oh, yeah, it's my land. This is a way to make money off of my land. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know? There's there's a Trans-America trail already of people who are supposedly cool with you just riding through their land. Mm Mm-hmm. So why not one day that's a fucking race? 
Uh, yeah, it's a complicated thing that you've got to go through like every individual landowner and get them to sign off on it. But especially once they see the fucking money, why not? There's already a dude that maintains a website that will sell you the current year. The, the current year's map in exchange for going through and getting all those people to agree that this is part of that trip. Like, get that dude that does that website and let's get a fucking race going. Because all you need is that trail. Like, how many bikes wide does this trail need to be, right? Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, imagine... Well, also, just imagine, like, all the, the companies that sell, like, the digital map stuff and everything for the Dakar. Imagine what it would be like to be to have this track, and it's going to be, like, it has to be, like, meter perfect, where, like, you actually have to go between these two trees on the map. Like, yeah. Now, now, there is a complicated thing in that you'll have to set, like, every certain amount of miles, like, you know, every, like... Because this is the kind of thing that we're like off road is going to take like you know you're going to have to break this up into at least ten, if not twenty different like checkpoints, mm -hmm. and each checkpoint's going to have to have parking and like facilities for a truck to show up with you know at least an easy up and everything to to service the bikes and everything and and you know refuel and you know, like either trade off riders or the riders to sleep and whatever. But, you know, the first year is probably not going to be too big. Right. I, mm -hmm. But this could be such a American motorsport really needs something like this, a spectacle, like a national spectacle like this to reignite america's love with motorsport because america used to be one of the countries that was the most in love with motorsports and now it's one of the least yeah and that's so sad i like i nascar was like simultaneously one of the best and worst things to happen in motorsport in america because it gave motorsport this unprecedented level of popularity for a couple decades. But then it made motorsport like sort of seem white trash. Mm. But it's weird because I like I've been to a NASCAR race. Like, yeah, there's some trashy people that show up, but the teams are like super professional teams. Like, the drivers are super professional. The The whole thing is very technical, very involved, very costly, very... I mean, it's premier top-level racing. Of a, I mean, it's essentially like, you know, go, like oval track go-kart racing just taken to its logical conclusion. Mm -hmm. like, much like IndyCar racing is, but they're closed wheel rather than open. But I, I don't understand why everyone's like, oh, my God, fucking NASCAR. That's some fucking redneck bullshit. I would I would rather be I would I, I would I would never be seen at a NASCAR race. I'm just too respectable a person. Fuck you. Go to a fucking NASCAR race. It is a grand old time. OK, OK. 
do a little research, watch a couple races on TV, pick the writers that you like. I don't know. Look into some Instagrams or whatever. See who's got an attitude. See who thinks a lot of themselves. Who's a nice guy. Who's got a winning record. Who's an underdog understand that look up what the points are and like who's vying for the front and then go to a nascar race and follow the cars and there's an inherent drama there okay um you know like all these people you know there's all these like super fast converted formula one fans i all that drama exists within nascar and I don't know. I, I will always defend NASCAR and people that want to hate on NASCAR just don't know what the fuck they're talking about. There's a reason it was so popular for so long. And maybe it's not going to be the dominant form of motorsports in America moving into the future. But God damn it. Like burning fucking gasoline's American as fuck. OK, I why? <laughs> yeah. Why can't we have this? Like, why has it become like un PC to like racing. Why has it become trashy to like racing? Racing's fucking awesome. I you're you're combining racing with engines that go bang, right? I, I you know some people have this idea like um so like Doug, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, Doug. He's uh he's like he's he's super into basketball, especially college basketball, and he's like, well but the machine's doing all the work. And I'm like, no, that's not true. The machine's made by people. So the work of the machine directly translates to how much effort the team in the garage has put in. It's a team sport. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you think riding a motorcycle at this level isn't athletic, Doug? Like, fuck you. I well, it's like, we're, you know, we're going back to the moon in a few years. Are we going to look at that spectacle and be like, I feel like the rocket's doing all the work. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> we're not. We're not. Okay. <laughs> That's there, a great way to put it. There's, there's people on there. They've got to go through a lot of G forces. They got to be well trained. They're putting their lives on the line. It's the same thing with racing. There, and there's technical skill to it. It's there is this, you know, the sort of chance that happens on in the NFL on Sunday. Uh, there's all the grinding and the work that goes into it. There's all the engineering. It it's the same thing, right? Yeah, BDR cannonball. How could someone not be into that? I mean, every fucking every fucking dude in America and woman and child that's into riding dirt bikes or just riding like ATVs and shit off road. Um, not only not only every that be every so guy awesome. that goes rock ca crawling in his Jeep, every like a lot of mountain bikers probably. I, the appeal for this is so wide. Like, this is a group of people writing, yeah, let's open it up to fucking side-by-sides. I don't give a shit, right? I mean, the side-by-sides are just going to lose to the 450 dirt bikes, the 250, the 110 dirt bikes by a lot. But whatever. Let the side-by-sides compete, you know? Let them have their fun, too. And just off-road craziness, BDR, 
coast to coast. Well, especially with coast to coast, like I want to say, because there there aren't a, there aren't a bunch of people close to the the northern border, uh, and actually, really in Arizona and te- like I would bet, because most of the people are on the coasts, but I feel like if you picked somewhat of a central route, something like. 70 to 80% of the U.S. population is going to be within 300 miles of a race every day if you did this. Like, to somewhere they could just set up. Yeah, I mean, not if you're in Texas and not if you're in Montana. But, like, yeah, like, a huge amount of the, the country it don't have to travel that far. Yeah, it's a one-day trip to go set up and watch a race go by and only is it gonna for like be, a whole 24 hours too and not only that but it's going to be around you know people who are local to you like people yeah. in your state or in neighboring states it's going to be you know, camp out have fun because I mean, the whole thing be is like going to be about up. like you know yeah. hanging out at your camper and watching it on tv but then when the category that you care about comes by, you know, you go up to the go up to like, you know, the yeah. the, the gate and watch them go by like 20 feet away. Right. Because it's essentially rally racing. Right. Yeah. And I would love it if it was in like, you know, the Australian tradition of rally racing where they let you stand so close you'll get hit by the cars if you're a dumbass. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it's on private land, what, what are, who's going to stop you? Yeah, yeah. It's up to the landowner where the gate's set. <laughs> well, also, I mean, it'd be kind of like you know, it'd be similar to like almost like um, you know, like a uh, World Rally Car like Class B, or like the Tour de France, where you just kind of you just come out for the day. You know, right. You bring yeah, yeah. your coolers and yeah, because when you come out for the day to like watch Tour de France, right. Like, you're not, like, intensely following the race that day. Like, you've been intensely following every portion of the Tour de France up to that point. You'll watch the bicycles go by, and then you'll go home and get caught up on everything that happened that day. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, because you're, you're following it intensely. You're following the points. You're following all the stories. And on that day, you're just there for the spectacle. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and this would be the same way. And the way things are now, um I'm already thinking about it cuz this year I've watched so much more MotoGP than I have in past years. For every single round this year, I have at least watched um uh the second practice session and Q2 for every single class plus the races and especially during the flyaways a lot of the races i watched all of it Mm -hmm. and um last season or this season and the season before i watched all the the testing and preseason stuff as well and so this next year when we go if i'm not actively in my seat for like p2 and q2 you bet your ass like come like seven in the evening i'm 
gonna find some place, some camper, or something if we don't take the an RV or something to be sitting in front of a TV to like watch every lap of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- this is yeah. I, in that kind of mindset, this is something that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm getting. How long is this episode now? Uh, we're like, oh, two hours 20. So it's long, but not ridiculously long yet. Yeah, mm-hmm. we should end in, in a minute. But um, so we've come up with two amazing ideas here, Swigs. We've got our like worldwide iron butt. And we've got our. Um, Back roads. Uh, yeah, which yeah, our, our our BDR cannonball, which is never going to happen, but mm-hmm. it, that doesn't mean it's not a genius idea. But you know, the worldwide cannonball, if we could grow it to a certain number of people, we could eventually, yeah, like give people patches or whatever, and charge like thirty bucks to do it towards some sort of charity or something. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't know. But for right now, let's just say there's no cost. It's just. Some weekend in August. I don't know. Should we just say the first weekend in August? I don't think the first week in August is like any kind of. It's it's at least like a few weeks after Fourth of July. Mm-hmm. Let's say the first Saturday in August right now. I don't think that interrupts with any major thing. But also, like it's just a Saturday, right? You don't have to travel very far before or after it. It's just a 24-hour commitment on Mm -hmm. a day that most people have off. And let's say you work in a restaurant or something. It's enough time to just get that one day off. Yeah, It's not a thing like like an actual race or something like that. It's just a day to just do your thing. Well, that's not entirely true. If it's like if you're in Australia or something, it might be a Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon or Saturday afternoon to Friday, Sunday afternoon. But you know what I'm saying? In general. Well, we're what? Like we're so we're what? Like seven hours behind, you know, Zulu time. So maybe we set it up so that everyone has 24 hours during the weekend. From like midnight starting on Saturday to yeah. ending on Sunday, and then everyone can like everyone has. I would say something like, "What if we left at six in the morning?" So the earliest people would be leaving is four in the morning in California. That'd be the way to go. Yeah, and then. The latest people are leaving is in, like, New Zealand, realistically, which would be... Like, Saturday evening. I don't know what the time difference is, but, yeah, it'd be, like, Saturday evening. Yeah, but it would still happen within the weekend, and they could get home late Sunday, get some hours of sleep, and then go to work on Monday. Yeah. I think that's good. Yeah, we leave at 6 in the morning. I'd rather leave at 4, but, like, whatever. Uh, maybe we leave at five in the morning. They can leave. You know what? Fuck them. They're in California. It's going to be fucking warmer throughout the night. In California, they can leave at three in the fucking morning. They're going to be just fine. 
I know, like, fucking Liza and the Misfits were ever going to be like, oh, my God, it's past 10 at night. It's winter now. Like, fuck you. <laughs> it's it's not that cold at night with the ocean breeze on the coast in California. It's just not. I know you tried to tell me it was like Arctic and I was going to freeze to fucking death. Wasn't that cold. It was just fine. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. I think we're good to end this episode. I think it's been mm-hmm. a good one. It wasn't like, you know, our funniest or wildest episode, but I feel like we can't, we made a lot of like great points and we covered a lot of ground. And discoveries and covered yeah. a lot of ground. All right. So let me make sure we're probably going to get some bullshit on sound effects commercials. Yeah. Um, not too bad. All right. Let's do the outro. You ready? Let's do it. And I don't want to die. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Mm, cold. This has been an AMA sanctioned event.